my health journey when I was in the midst of waiting to see what God would do. How our church-wide day of prayer and fasting was a day when we called you guys to come and pray. Pray for breakthrough and also to pray for me to, to receive a miracle. And so it feels great this morning to be able to give you that testimony. But if you remember during that process in the morning when I woke up, I felt the Holy Spirit just whisper something into my spirit, which was a gentle whisper, which was pursue the God of miracles, not just the miracle. Do you remember that? If you were here, you would. The sense that Jesus is worthy of my passionate pursuit of him, regardless of what I'm walking through. That's still true today. Regardless of whether I receive my miracle or not, Jesus is worthy of my passionate pursuit of him. And I felt that we were to chase Jesus because we love him, because we know him, because we have an eternal perspective. Isn't it great to know that we can see life from the viewpoint of eternity, not from the viewpoint of our circumstances? That we know we have hope because we have an eternal promise that one day we will spend eternity with God in heaven and all sickness will cease, all pain will cease, all struggles will cease. Who thinks that's eternal hope? That's an exciting place for us to live from and to view. Jesus was to be number one in our lives, not just part of our lives or reduced down to a Sunday morning experience once a week, but he was to be the center of our lives each and every day of the week. Chase him with all your heart all of the time. But what does that look like? What does it look like to chase Jesus with all of your heart day to day? You're probably not going to like my answer because you've probably heard it week after week, but it looks like prayer. It looks like times of worship. It looks like time in his word, but expecting him to speak to us. And I believe that's true of every aspect of our lives. How do I do that in my marriage? How do I do it in my business or whatever it is that I'm involved in in my life? How do I make sure that Jesus is number one? Let me give it to you again, simply prayer. Prayer is more than just telling God my problems. Prayer is a place of thanksgiving, but it's also an invitation to invite Jesus to move in all aspects of my life. It's an invitation. God, come be with me in the midst of what I'm walking through. And God, I invite your presence to move in and through my life. But it's also an invitation for God to speak. So it's not a one-way thing. It's not just me sitting in thanksgiving or just me sitting and speaking to God. It's about me having an expectation that God will also speak to me and that I would create room in my life to hear the voice of God. Here's another thing. For me, it's, it's declaration. It's declare him to be the center of your marriage. Declare him to be the center of your family. Declare him to be the center of your business or whatever it is. There's power in confession. There's power in speaking the name of Jesus into your circumstances and declaring he is Lord of your life. Do you agree with me? I mean, we're good at declaring all kinds of things. We're actually good at the declarations on the things that aren't going so well, that aren't happening the way we'd like them to happen. But what about being good at the declaration that Jesus is in control of my life regardless of what happens? Lord, I put you first in every circumstance in my life. And the third is the word. Read God's word. Well, you're a pastor. You have to say that. Like those are three, those are three basic things that a pastor would say. Prayer, worship, declaration, the word. You're going to say that. But I want to say this. We read the word for more than just story or information. 
It's alive and active according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. So we read it with faith and we read it with expectation that the Holy Spirit will bring revelation into our lives. It's not just for the pastors of the church. It's not just the pastors that need revelation from God. In fact, we all have access to revelation and God speaking to us when we read his word. Are you you agreeing with me? We need to have revealed truth or to have God give us direction in our lives through revelation. The truth God has given me is to chase after Jesus with all your heart. Make sure he's the center of your life. But hey, listen, that's not a new truth. I knew that already to be true. When I stood up here and spoke it, you already knew it to be true. But it was a fresh revelation or a fresh revealing of a known truth for me. It's like God was saying, I want to emphasize this afresh in your life. I don't know, had I got off track? Was I away from him? I don't know. But God was coming with fresh revelation. Carl, it's all about my son, Jesus, that he's the center of your life. So as I'm reading the word, as I'm spending time with him, he's refreshing a revelation in my heart that Jesus is to be the center of it all. So what does it look like? What does it look like for Carl to... Ensure that Jesus is center of all. What adjustments have I made in my life? Because I'm awesome, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I'm just teasing. We started having communion around our dinner table as a family. You're probably shocked we weren't doing it before. We did it once in a while, but we've been doing it actually every night. Just taking a moment. We don't get the bread and prepare it and get a wee cup and prepare it. Just whatever we have in our, our dinner table, we break it. We give thanks for the body that he broke, was broken on the cross for us. We give thanks for his blood that was shed for us. We give thanks and we bring Jesus into the center of our family. And it's been a cool adjustment for us. And you can do it naturally any time. You don't need to wait for communion, though we're having it this morning on a Sunday. You can actually do that any time when you're fellowshipping with somebody and acknowledge the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross. And it's great when you start to hear your children praying prayers of thanksgiving for what Jesus has done. Oh. It looks more like times of prayer in place of TV. Uh Uh-oh, he's going there. Like that, it's not a religious thing, it's a relationship thing. When you get the revealed truth, revelation that Jesus is to be centered, you want to spend time with him out of relationship. It looks like spending more time in that place of prayer with him, making him a priority in your life over your favorite Netflix TV show. It's gone quiet. It looks like elevation of Jesus. In my conversations. Looks like elevation of Jesus when I'm talking with people about my journey in my life. Like Jesus begins to spill out of my life. In fact, I'm prioritizing him. He's important to me, so I will want to talk about Jesus more than ever before. Can I say this? Revelation and vision are not just for me, they're not just for the front row, they're for everybody in the church. And God wants to speak to every single one of us in our circumstances and our situations. He wants to speak to you about your marriage. He wants to speak to you about your business. He wants you to seek him regardless of what your future looks like because God wants to speak to you and be a part of the journey that he's got you on. God has things that he wants to say to you. Do you realize that? And so I guess my question this morning, while I take a drink of water, is simply, are you listening to God? Have you given him an invitation to speak into your marriage, your business, your, your study, your staying at home as a parent, your, whatever it is that you're working through, what walking, walking in? Have you asked him and invited him to speak 
into your situation. When you do, you'll read the word with a different expectation. When you invite God to speak, when you invite God to move, you will read this with a totally different expectation because you won't just be reading it for story or you won't just be reading it because your pastor told you you should read it or your life group leader told you you should read it or someone else said it was a good thing to do, though it is. You'll read it because you have an expectation that God will speak to you because you've invited the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and vision into your life. What I'm saying is that no matter what you do in life, no matter what you find yourself doing, whether you're the owner of a company or you work for someone else, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or you're unable to work because of health-related issues, whether you're studying whatever it is that you do, I feel God is calling each of us to seek the Lord with all our hearts. And when we seek Him with all our hearts, He gets put first in our lives. What you chase after is what you will give you your desire. When we seek the Lord, the promise is we will find Him and He will become the desire of our heart. Don't wait until he is the desire of your heart until you chase him. Chase him until he is the desire of your heart. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 14. You probably know this passage well. It's a word from the prophet Jeremiah to the, the, uh, God's people who are in exile. And he brings a prophetic encouragement from the Lord to his people. And it says this in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. What a great prophetic promise that the prophet Jeremiah is bringing to the people who are in exile, being there for 70 years. What a promise that he brings. And verse 12 and 13 says, in those days you will pray. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But this is the bit I love because God like puts an exclamation point on that promise. I will be found by you, says the Lord. It's like exclamation point. Like I've already said it, but I'm going to exclaim it again. I'm going to proclaim it again. If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. See, it is to be the desire of our hearts to seek the Lord wholeheartedly in every sphere of our life that we would search for him. See, God knows the plans he has for you like he knows the plans that he had for his people in exile. God knows the plans, the good plans he has for you. But for, for us, I wonder how many of us are actually looking to him for his good plans or whether the posture of our lives or our business or our family or our marriages, it's okay, God, I've got this. Like it's pretty good as it is, but I wonder how good it could be if we were continuing to seek him for his good plans for our life. My encouragement to myself and to you today is that we'd be people who have not made Jesus sacred to a Sunday, but have a posture that chases after him every day and invites him into our daily lives. I hope you see that as important. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Let's have a look at this King Rehoboam. King Rehoboam established himself firmly in Jerusalem, continued as king. He was 41 years old when he became king. 
just an old guy at 41. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Namah. She was an Ammonite. He did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Notice what it says of King Rehoboam. He did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Notice what it didn't say. It does not say the king was evil, and so he did not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Notice the order because the order is really important. He did evil not because he was evil. Now, for many of us, I think that's a truth that we need revealed in our hearts. Sometimes we think we're evil. That's why we do the things we do. It's subtle. There's a subtle difference, but it's a complete lie. Simply by not seeking the Lord, King Rehoboam did evil. It didn't say he was evil. Things in our lives go wrong when we stop seeking the Lord. When we rely even on our past understandings of God and stop seeking him with all our heart. Now, there are many reasons that that can happen. There are many reasons why we can find ourselves really not in a deep search for God or a desperation for him or a chase in pursuit of him. It can be simple as we're afraid of what he might say or what he might ask of us if we actually were to seek him. I mean, what surrender or what sacrifice might God ask of me if I truly allow him to speak into my life and into my circumstances? What I do know is this. It may not always be the easiest journey that God asks us to walk through, but the end result is always far greater than we could have ever imagined if we will listen to God and walk in obedience to him. If we are willing to walk the journey of discomfort at times, and at times it can be uncomfortable, the end result is always far greater than you could have ever imagined. But sometimes to buy ourselves a little time or a sound sense of counterfeit peace, we just stop seeking the Lord because I don't want to hear what he might ask of me next. It might not be you, it might just have been my posture at times. Like I know God will ask me to do something or break through in something or give something up that's really, really difficult and so I really don't actually want to hear his voice. But I know this, if you'll trust him, if you'll listen to his voice, if you'll let him speak and walk in obedience, it'll be far greater than you can ever have asked for or imagined. Can I just say this today if that's you? If you're afraid of what God might ask of you, the word for you today is reset your heart on seeking after him. Reset your heart on seeking after him. The reason that's in my notes is because as I was praying for my message, that's what I felt God impress on my heart. When we put Jesus in the center of our lives, when we are sure again that he is our true north, when we have our eyes fixed firmly on him, things come back to where they should be. Hope begins to return. Not a false hope, but an eternal hope an eternal promise, an eternal perspective, that in the end, it's all going to be great. It may not be great right now. It may not be easy right now. It may not always be comfortable right now, but the eternal promise is that one day it all will be. Today's culture, not being an expert on culture, but I'm going to have a go at it, has tried to push Jesus to one side. In other words, he's one lifestyle choice among many others. Like that's cool if if you are a Christ follower, but you can also have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Like, like, yeah, follow Jesus, but what about this and what about that? Make room in your life for this. And it's cool if you want to be a Jesus freak, 
But how about you also accept other people's lifestyle choices and compromise your own values along the way and make room for everyone in life? What about culture speaking to us about that kind of thing? And there is pressure on parents with the choices they watch their teenagers making. And it's hard for them as they watch, but it's also pressure on teens relating to the choices they're being asked by culture to make and compromises they're being asked to make. And there's a pressure on young adults to be as relaxed about everything as possible and be as inclusive as possible. Accept everything and everybody. However, if we will set our hearts on seeking after the Lord, if we will chase after Jesus with all our hearts, if we will set our hearts on pursuing him, then the word of God will also be elevated in our lives. If we will chase Jesus, then the end of the day, the word of God will be what gives us our conviction, our truth, and sets our course for us. And culture can say all it likes, but all I say that to say is this, no matter what generation I'm in or what culture says, my desire is to chase after Jesus with all my heart, that he would be true north, that he would be the center of all. He's not to be one part or off to the side. He's to be the center of everything. And when we chase Jesus with all our hearts, other things begin to fall into line. We'll live a a life that's pleasing to him if we chase him with every aspect of our lives. See, the trouble comes when our hearts are not set on chasing him. They're not set on chasing him. He's just a small portion of my life. That's when compromise and wrong choices begin to take hold. That is where King Rehoboam went wrong. He did evil, and the because was that he had not set his heart on chasing after the Lord. As I feel God give me a fresh revelation of this, it's like Jesus has to be the center of it all, and you have to set your heart on chasing after him. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We need to keep setting our hearts and minds on Christ. Not just every now and again, not just once in a while, but every day, set your heart set your mind on Christ, not with a mixture of earthly things or an earthly view, but with an eternal view and an eternal perspective. The passage has many challenges for us. One is that we are not only to seek heaven, but to think heaven, or not just seek eternity, but think eternity. Have an eternal view, as I've mentioned many times already, have an eternal perspective to not only have a view based here in the temporary, but to have an eternal perspective. We are to see that to it that our inner nature and governing tendency of our thought and will are after God. That we have set our hearts and minds and lives and will in the direction of pursuing him with all our hearts. What it does not mean is withdrawal from the world. That's not Paul's message here at all. If you go on and read this, and I encourage you to do it, some people have formed a whole theology or a whole doctrine out of what Paul didn't say. He does not say withdraw from the world and only spend time in contemplation of eternity. Christians are to maintain normal relationships with the world. However, the distinctive is there will be a difference. Christ followers will see everything in light of eternity. 
not in the here and now and temporary. Everything we walk through, everything we decide, everything we're a part of has an eternal perspective about it. Our lives will not be lived in a way that reflects it's the world that only matters to us. Earthly things are not in and of themselves always evil. It's when those things get out of order in our lives. When they consume the place that was reserved for Jesus, now they're out of order in our lives. Now they need some rearranging. And because we live in this world, let's not get it out of context. And it's not talking about material things. It's not saying you should not have material things or wealth or anything like that. Don't go home and say, I've had too much of an earthly perspective. I haven't had an eternal perspective and I need to sell everything and give it away. That would be a huge mistake. It's talking about lifestyle choices, old sinful nature stuff that we've had before many of us found a new life in Christ. And it goes on to list some of the things. If you want to read them, verse 5 to 10 lists a whole lot. I'd encourage you to read those for yourself. But the point of my message is that I believe the sinful nature is continually put to death when God's people pursue Jesus with all their heart. Seek after him and find him. Many of the issues of the sinful nature are done away with. When Jesus becomes my attention, when Jesus becomes the most important in my life, when Jesus is my true north, other things fall away from my life. When Jesus is in his rightful place, when he's the center of it all, then he is the one that dominates my conversations. He is the place my mind wanders when I'm having difficulty. He is the place where I find my peace. My passions begin to align with his passions. I'm not looking other places to get through my difficulty. I'm not looking somewhere else for a false sense of peace. I'm looking to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. I'm looking for Jesus to be the one who walks me through my difficulty. My life is his life. What I have to offer is his The many things I once needed persuaded in, I no longer need convincing of. Things like my desire to give, my desire to serve, my ability to stick it out in my relationships even when they're challenging, or to stay the course in my church community even when it's a little challenging. My ability to serve under or work for someone else becomes my honor because I realize I am serving Christ. He has my life in his hands. My perspective begins to shift. My ability to serve begins to change. My sickness, my struggles, my pain, though they are not easy in my humanness, I have complete hope in Jesus Christ. I don't lose my way in the midst of the difficult or rotten things that happen. And listen, rotten and difficult things happen all the time in the world we're a part of. Pain and sickness is part of our world, but I don't lose hope when I have Jesus at the center of it all. It doesn't mean it won't be wobbly. It doesn't mean it won't be challenging, but I keep coming back to Jesus. I keep coming back to the eternal perspective I have because of what he did for me upon the cross, the work of the cross, the work of what Jesus did, his death and resurrection, the shedding of his blood for me. I come back to the eternal hope that I carry and I don't lose my way. Are we doing okay? In light of all I've said this morning, we will pursue Jesus with all our hearts. He will be front and center of our lives. 
We will see his influence through our own lives when we chase after him, when we put him first. Other things won't be the things that influence us. We will be the ones that influence other things. When we chase him, the things that would take center of our life become the things that get pushed away, and he remains the center. As I was preparing this message this week, knowing it's the week leading up to Easter, I felt it would be a great time for us to have communion together. To pause for a few moments and again position Jesus in the center of our lives and as a church family. To remember what our eternal perspective truly is. Knowing that I know many of your stories, I know a lot of what some of you are walking through and some of you are facing. I know the challenges health-wise that some of you are facing and some of you are walking through. And all I've been asked of God, I feel, is just to keep bringing us back to the feet of Jesus. Keep positioning Jesus in the center of it all. Keep reminding us that we have an eternal hope. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the work of the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Thank goodness for resurrection power. Thank goodness that he paid the price we could never pay. And that we just to keep coming back to the place where he is at the center of it all. To remember the price and cost he paid during his death on the cross. So in a minute, we're going to have communion together. We're going to remember what Jesus has done. Now, the way we do it here, if you're new or visiting, is that we leave our chairs. We have stations around the auditorium where you can go and help yourself to communion. If you gluten, need gluten-free, then it's down here on my right, your left. But we leave our seats and we gather with others and we share communion together. But let me just say what it's not. It's not a funeral. It's a celebration. It's a recognition of what Jesus has done for us. And when you begin to dwell on what Jesus has done, it doesn't come out somber. It comes out in joy. Even in the midst of difficulty, it comes out in joy. Thank God for Jesus and the work of the cross. Would you stand with me? So I want to read a scripture. And then the team is going to put on a CD and we're going to be released to come and have communion together. I felt it would be great just to read a scripture and I'm going to read from the message version this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 15. When the Messiah arrived, high priest of superior things of this new covenant, he bypassed the old tent and its trappings in this creative world and went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place, once and for all. He also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. God bless you this morning as you move about the auditorium and have communion together.